Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My guest on today's show is Nate Dodson. Nate, a fascinating guy who is an expert at building a lifestyle of independence. He's here today to share with us some of his ideas and tips surrounding how to save money and how to live a low-cost lifestyle, but also, and perhaps more importantly, how to build an entrepreneurial endeavor online in a way that's perfect for you. He's an expert at using some of the new tools, and today he's here to share some of his experiences with you. Nate, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. You're a longtime listener of the show, and I brought you on today to talk about some of the micro-businesses that you have been able to build. Uh, And I think some of the content will be helpful to other listeners of Radical Personal Finance who are interested in uh, pursuing similar paths. So uh, as we begin, could you share for a few minutes your path uh, to the businesses that you now participate with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've basically been creating micro-businesses since I was in fourth grade. And um, nothing that really caught on steam besides selling weed in high school. And uh, <laughs> hold on, I gotta ask: Was yeah. this a long-time financial strategy of yours, or was this a, just a short-term side gig? Well, it was just one of the first ones that caught on. I mean, I did <laughs> like fifth grade. I was selling candy and did a school newspaper and. In high school, I got into, you know, marijuana and mushrooms, and that was the only thing that started actually making me money for a business. So and how I did grew- you, how did you like get started uh, in a drug dealing business uh, as a high school student? What was, what was that process like? It was, it, it actually just came out of um, working at a skate shop. I was working at a skate shop and got to know some guys that, you know, had the connection to good marijuana in my little small town didn't, and didn't have anything like that. So started giving it to my friends and pretty soon, you know, it. I was working at McDonald's, I was 15 and a half to 16 and they would say, they would always say, Nate, well, you have like 10 checks waiting to be picked up. And I would never pick up my checks because I just didn't even care about <laughs> the money I was making at McDonald's. How much money and did I, you, did you earn? Uh, I don't know. I've never been one to really keep track of how much money I'm, I've earned, to be completely honest with you. I just, you know, I had money just coming out of my pockets. And um, I was I didn't have any bills. I was living with my parents. I was just, you know, just a teenager. So. Did you waste it all or what What, what did you do with the money? Uh, well, I know I've reached a point where I didn't have any, so I guess I did waste it at some point, but. <laughs> and did you get caught or, or how did you get out of that business? Assuming that you have. Well, I just got out of it from, I came down to school at IU, Indiana university and, um, just kind of got out of it from then just grew out of it, you know, Wow. just wasn't something I wanted to be risky anymore. And, and, um, just got interested in other things. I'm, I get interested in something new every few months. So sure. Sure. Well, go for it. Continue your story. I just couldn't. I couldn't resist asking uh, asking about that <laughs> about that business. But keep going with your story. Yeah. So that was one of the ones that worked, and then I had many years when a business didn't work, and I went through college and um, got had several jobs out of out of college. I did actually did some handyman work in in uh, in college by just putting an ad in the paper, and that made me a little bit of money. Um, but then ended up back in Bloomington where I went to school. I lived in Portland, Oregon for a little bit, Michigan for a little bit, ended up back here. 
and uh, got a job as a restoration ecologist, which is a um, fancy word for kind of a laborer. I sprayed a lot of herbicide and worked out in the woods and did forestry work, cutting down trees and stuff. And um, it just started to not feel that healthy. I was um, newly married and I was would go out of town a lot and I would get covered in herbicide all the time. Right. And I've just always kind of had this entrepreneurial um, background or entrepreneurial uh, tendencies, I guess. So I've, I've, I was exploring stuff on the side the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then in, um, I think it was 2012, my wife got pregnant and I knew I would have a daughter or I didn't know it was a daughter at the time, but I knew I'd have a kid in nine months. And I just started to think about the fact that I would you know, not have time to spend with her if I was working 50 hour, 55 hours a week and going out of town all the time. And I just like, I need to get serious about this. So I started to read a bunch of business books and um, looked online and Etsy was just seemed really easy. It's got, there's a lot of things that make it a really easy kind of gateway business for someone to get into. Um, there's, there's basically, there's numbers on there so you can see what people are purchasing on everyone's site. So you can see kind of what's in demand just by going through there. And um, so I just started, you know, looking on there and I saw, oh, I make stuff kind of like that already just for for the fun of it. So I'll put my stuff online and see if it sells. And stuff started selling and it, and it grew into an Etsy business. And I've done um, a few of them actually since then, two of them, which I still actively manage. But So is this is Etsy now your family's full-time income? Um, no, it's not our full-time income. It, I mean, it, it actually covers our full-time income cause we live really cheap. We're, um, really into just radical simplicity and our, our goal for next year actually is to live under $15,000 a year. That's awesome. And that'll be for a family of four when my daughter comes to the end of new or my new child comes to the end of March. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a full-time income. My wife works 10 hours a week as a dietitian. Um, give or take. And, um, then we have the farm. We earned a little income off of last year and, uh, should, should earn a little more off this year. And we have a rent and I have a rental house as well. So you've got a a diverse series of, of income streams, which is awesome. So what makes Etsy, you mentioned the Etsy is very accessible. Uh, and you mentioned because you can go on there and see what's selling. So is the trick just to go on Etsy and see who's selling stuff and copy them and rip off their stuff and create your own or, or where does somebody start if they're interested in creating an Etsy business? Well, you probably really could do that if you wanted, but, um, you don't really need to do that. You can just kind of, you know, it's a, it's an existing, has an existing audience. It's a platform. It's got the infrastructure. It's easy just to put stuff on there without having to go through the trouble of building a website or source stuff from China. I mean, it's just really low risk and it's a rapid reward. It doesn't take a lot of um, upfront things to build out an Etsy store. Um, But yeah, you can go on there and I I encourage people just to browse around just forever and find stuff that you think is cool. And you can look. There's a number down the side. You can see how many sales they've had. And when you click on the sales, you can see what actual products are selling. So I'm not necessarily advocating that you just copy people and rip them off completely, but um, just go on there and get inspired. 
and you know create something that resonates with you. And also, the thing about Etsy is that they do allow outside manufacturing. So you can find products on there that you think are cool that are selling. They've been proven to, there's a proven demand. And then you can put up an ad on Craigslist and find a local person to make it for you. And uh, as long as it still has a profit margin, you're good to go. What types of products do you sell on Etsy? Um, right now, my two main ones are um, prints. I sell artwork and I'm getting ready to um, build those out into more products, actually. And then I also sell like a luxury wedding guest book that sells for like 150 bucks. So, so those are my two main ones, but I also have experience selling um, skateboards, custom skateboards, and teepees, like children's play tents. And then I've helped some other couple other people start Etsy businesses as well. So one of my goals here as we record this is the beginning of 2016. One of my goals in 2016 is to bring more income uh, opportunities to the – listeners of Radical Personal Finance, uh, to help people diversify their income streams, to help people build a backup source of income, uh, and just to, you know, basically more ideas about side hustles. Yeah. So talk about, if you were advising me, and I said, hey, I want to uh, start an Etsy business, walk me through the whole process. I've got some ideas on on maybe some things that I can create. I've looked around. I've, I've got some ideas. Walk me through the process of doing that. Um, if you've already got some ideas, I would go on to Etsy and search for what your, your ideas are and see if people are making something similar that's actually selling. Otherwise, you might want to just scrap that idea and go with something that has some proven demand because Etsy's been around for a while and, you know, the customers have already kind of decided what they're in the market for. You know, when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, you're either kind of an inventor or an innovator. And the inventor part's really hard. It's, it's hard to get it right. But innovating is just kind of, you know, seeing what the market is already out there in the market and making it a little better or making it a little appealing. Um, that's what, that's what I would do to start. I mean, the, the competition on Etsy is pretty weak. I would say, I mean, I've been really successful on there and, um, I've given it pretty low effort to be honest with you. I mean, it was both these, both those businesses were, you know, a couple months of going at it a little bit hard. And then now I'm just working on them less than 10 hours a week. Um, so if you can dedicate large chunks of time and just kind of create systems and build a brand and, and a sales funnel and you know do all the legitimate business stuff, you're going to be successful on there. That's for sure. Do you have to, on Etsy, do it all yourself or is it possible to set up this as a more passive type of business? Um, yeah, you, you don't have to do it all yourself. You're allowed to have like a company as Etsy. You don't have to be just a solopreneur. Um, just building the product yourself and you definitely want to, I think any business you want to make it somewhat scalable and passive, you know, if you're, if you're going to pick a product, I would definitely recommend picking something that you can create systems that either through human labor or just something you create once and sell over and over again, you know, will still bring you a profit margin, which is what my, my prints are. I, my prints, I create a print one time, and some of them I've sold hundreds of times. So that hour I took to create that print, 
if you go out through the rest of my life, I, I made, you know, $6,000 an hour when I made that print. So definitely picking something scalable is important and somewhat passive to some degree. Is, is, is well, It's not necessarily important. If you love just making necklaces all day, then go for it. But if you want to free up your time to just kind of follow your passions or tinker, which is pretty much what I do with all my extra time, then that's what I would recommend for sure. Any other examples of micro businesses that you've built that have worked well? Um, most of them have failed. Um, this the farm is actually catching on. I've got an urban farm going here in Bloomington, and it's catching on and brought in a little bit of income. And I think it'll it should bring in ten ten to twenty grand this year. And uh, that's just a rough estimate. I'm not trying to go too hard on it because I have another child coming into March, but um, most of my stuff I've done has failed. And the Etsy thing just, it just, it's so easy. I mean, I was successful, so it had to be easy because I'm not all that smart. And I'm definitely, I have ADD. I can't stick with an idea for more than a couple months for sure. And and it's been, and it's done well. So if that, if that tells you anything. <laughs> you don't seem to be very bothered by the string of failures that you described. Oh, no, not at all. I, I, I mean, I can't. It's going to be crazy to show my kids one day all of the folders on my computer of the 150 business ideas I've had. You know, I was always trying to just invent the invent a new wheel and build something life changing. But I think it's really a better strategy to just kind of build something that brings some cash flow. So I don't I don't work for the company anymore. I'm just home. And it doesn't take me very many hours at all to create a livelihood, especially since I've cut all my uh, our costs down and everything. And so I'm just, you know, I have a, half the day to be creative and hang out with my family. And that's what it's all about to me. So you don't need to, I don't think you need to be a millionaire to be happy. And I don't know how I got on that tangent, but... Um, <laughs> What are some of the major strategies that allow you to live as a family of uh, of four with baby soon to be born uh, on such a small amount of annual expenses? Well, we um, we have the farm here, so you know when you have a farm, you have food waste, which is um, paid for by your business essentially. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of product you can't sell, and instead of composting it, you're allowed to eat it. Right. One can tell you, you can't. So that's one. It, food is a huge thing. And I got into um, hunting. I've been, you know, I've got a bunch of venison in the freezer. That was at one of our big expenses. And then we just don't buy stuff. I mean, we have a thrift shop just down the street if we want something, or we just do it ourselves. And, um, Let's see what else. Um, I don't have internet at my house and Mm -hmm. I make my living online. So that's kind of the ethos. You know, that's the whole thing. Our car, our house has crappy carpets. There's lots of stuff that we're we're not doing to impress our friends. Basically we get on our bikes when we want to go somewhere. Um, we do have a car actually, but it's got 220,000 miles on it. And well, actually I just got a new van too. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just anytime we're going to make a purchase, we just delay it and decide whether we can avoid it, basically. 
Are you and your wife on the same page? Like, do you guys find it easy to both uh, desire to live this frugal, relaxed lifestyle, or does it bring conflict in your relationship? Yeah, I would say we're we're on the same page where both of us have desires, and then the other person tells talks them out of fulfilling their desires basically <laughs> if that makes sense like my wife my wife we we've, we've talked about how you know we want our life to be centered around connection with our friends and with each other and with our family and with nature and not about um becoming millionaires and you know having a housekeeper and having a mansion and having a mercedes we both know that but, you know, with advertising and just, you know, technology, it's we both have stuff we want. We just talk about it. We're, we're around each other all the time. I mean, I work from home. She's only, she's only gone an hour or two a day. So, you know, we have a lot of time to talk. Whenever we're in the car, we're just our one phone that we uh, I'm getting ready. I'm getting rid of my phone. It gets shut off actually tomorrow because I thought maybe you might call, but. I'll have no cell phone and no internet at the house besides this patchy connection I get off one of my neighbors, which I wish they would cancel so I didn't have internet at home. Um, but we just do, we just kind of set up our lives. We look at our, obviously, we look at our expenses and see where we're spending money and just, you know, work at it, cut it, build skills, stuff like that. What, uh, how, how do you run an online business without internet in your house? Library, coffee shops. Um, it's, uh, when you, when you have it at your house, it's just too tempting. You're just always on there. You're just goofing off. But if you have to go somewhere, you know, I'm riding my bike in the freezing cold. I'm going to, uh, and I'm sitting in a coffee shop on an uncomfortable wooden chair. <laughs> I want to get my work done fast, you know? Right. I want to get it done in three hours. I, I used to have a business building websites and I didn't know how to build websites and I didn't have internet at my house. So these are the kind of things you can do. If you're just a little bit creative, you know, I, when I ran these businesses for the first year and a half working full time and going out of town and I had products I had to ship. So you have to. And then I and now I started working at home and I didn't get any more done. I freed up, you know, an average of 65 hours a week and I didn't get any more done. So it's just a lot of the time we spend. People say they're working if they're working from home, they're just goofing off. Don't you feel like it might be easier just to go and get a job and make a little bit more money and be able to save a little bit more money and have a little bit of an easier lifestyle? Uh, I'm not opposed to getting a job. I actually, you know, if it's something that I somewhat enjoy and I have, I, I loved my, the people I worked with at my old job. That was definitely the best part about it. I'm not opposed to getting a job, but I don't want it to interfere with this whole other part of life, like, um, you know, family and creativity. And when it starts in, intruding into those areas, of my life, then I'm definitely not for it. Then it starts to feel like slavery, you know, it starts to feel depressing. And, um, I don't know if that makes, if that makes sense to you. So last couple questions, obviously for you to be able to, uh, live on that low of, uh, uh, of annual expenses. Uh, like you said, you're next year, you think you'd be under 15,000. Do you have any guess of what you spent in 2015? 
About 24000 Okay. So major strategies that have allowed you to save money on housing, what are they? Do you own, do you own a home uh, and you just own an old home or, or what are the major strategies that have allowed you to lower your housing costs? We have a rental property that's just four blocks away and then we have our house here and it's a three bedroom. It has a master bedroom and I actually turned the master bedroom into a, like a tiny house and the bedroom beside it now where I'm getting ready to build a wall in the, um, in the hallway. So it'll be like, like a two bedroom, tiny house, and then a, another house. And I had, um, someone living in there before that was just working for me for six hours a week mm-hmm. in exchange for free housing. And now we're, we're thinking of actually renting the other half of our house. I don't know how legal it really is, but between that and the rental house that we, it's covers both of our mortgages easily and plus a little bit more actually. So you've got a rental house, traditional rental house, you're renting out or intending to rent out part of your house. And then you're also farming the property, the the land on your own property. That's where you're building your urban farm. Yep. Farming the land on my own property and, um, two other plots in town, two and a half plots in town. And these are borrowed, borrowed backyards. Other people, you're just giving them a share of the food in exchange for the use of their backyard to farm on. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Been, I put up I put up ads on Craigslist last year and had fifty people offer up their yards in town. That's cool. And then you try to keep your expenses on the house low. You no internet at home, minimal phone service, uh, yep. and uh, any other special strategies or ideas that you've worked on that have allowed you to keep your your, your housing expenses low. Um, not really. Just when we were looking to buy a house, you know, we keep an eye on the market and finding a place that was, um, you know, a house that provided a opportunity to live cheaper. So we wanted one that was close to town. We could ride our bikes easily everywhere to the grocery, especially, and, um, also had space for gardening has a big, I have a big flat South facing yard. So, and I did see the potential to rent out that room. It has its own little side porch, and, you know, it's big enough to turn – it already had a bathroom off of it. So that's the kind of thing I would look for if you're wanting to uh, reduce your housing. Do you do anything special with regard to energy costs? I'd imagine being in Indiana, it's not a warm state to live in during the wintertime. Any special ideas there? Yeah, we just – we keep our house cold, um, put extra blankets on the bed. We wear – I wear long johns and um, thermal shirt all winter long, no matter what. I have a beanie on when I'm around the house most of the time, a sweatshirt, thick wool socks, and slippers. And it reduces our house, housing bill a lot. I actually cut an, a couple extra windows in the south side, too, to bring in some sun and some, some warmth. Um, but I, I just think lowering your – you don't need that heat pumping through your house all day. It's It's actually better for your body to – being a little cold, you start to build brown fat. You're more likely to just go outside, and when you go outside, it's not doesn't feel as cold. Um, I think that's the big that's the big one to save on energy costs. What about the babies? Don't you get concerned about the babies being too cold? Oh no, they don't. She doesn't get Josie doesn't get cold at all. She's she runs around naked half the time when it's sixty <laughs> degrees in here. That youthful energy. <laughs> yeah, you just you you make your kids fragile by putting clothes on them their whole lives. They're they naturally uh, they're born just. I don't know. They're just they're more. 
uh, durable when they're when they're babies. I know that <laughs> does, sounds weird, but after, probably after the first year, anyways. But yeah, she doesn't. She's not bothered at all by it. Some days I'll be freezing because I'm working in my office for a little bit and I'm not moving around much. And that's the other thing too, having your house cold. Like we when we get cold, it's it's because we know we're not moving. It's it's the perfect signal to tell you, you know, get moving, do some jumping jacks or go outside and get some exercise. So there's just there's so many benefits I think to keeping your house cold. You're hardcore, dude. <laughs> um next, transportation. You have I guess two old cars and you just don't drive very much. Any other unique ideas that might be helpful to other listeners? Yeah, we ha- we have the one old car, and then we have a van that I just recently bought. It's a high roof van. We're going to do a bunch of traveling in it, um, turn it into like a van dwelling situation. Um, but no biking, get a bus pass if you live into a city. In a city, just you know, do whatever you can to avoid being a car clown driving around by yourself, burning gas all day. Food, you have waste from the farm, which is uh, a pretty sweet uh, setup. Uh, in that your farm allows you to deduct expenses that are associated with your home and your homestead uh, because it's part of the business. And then there are is going to be waste. Uh, and so that waste can help some of your personal consumption. And then it also gives you products that you can barter. It gives you uh, a, a greater, stronger network, allows you to have yeah. access to uh, the local producer community uh, where you can get things at wholesale prices based upon uh, barter relationship or an exchange of labor and then also hunting uh which as long as you don't spend thousands of dollars on fancy hunting gear could be a a uh, cost helpful way to uh, acquire food any other unique ideas to lower your food costs um just avoid food waste is a big one too many people you know go buy a ton of stuff and they don't have a plan for what they're going to do with it they 40 percent of the food in this country goes to waste so if if you if you're the typical American, you're you're blowing forty percent forty percent of that food budget's just going to in the trash. Uh, so that's a big one. We also forage. It's a it's one of our fun activities we do. Go out in the woods and you can pick tons of stuff. We just you know we make t- big batches of nettle soup every year, and and all that stuff's free and it's fun for the family. Um, and hunting's great. I mean, it's just it's like meditation sitting out there in nature, breathing fresh air. And I, I got into hunting with, um, I spent about 20 bucks on bullets, got an old gun from my dad and that was it. But this, this year I'm going to go even more hardcore and learn to build a bow. Cause I don't think you really know how to hunt unless you know how to build your weapon. Um, so I'm going to learn how to build a bow and do some bow hunting. <laughs> what else are your biggest expenses right now? Final question. What are your biggest expenses right now that you haven't been able to um, really crack very well? What's been the biggest frustration for you? Um, well, I blow too much money on domain names, that's for sure. <laughs> every new every new business I get excited about, I buy the domain name, you know, before I even have something built for it. Um. That's one of the main ones. Our healthcare, you know, we have a six thousand dollar deductible. It's not that expensive, I would say. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think we don't have. I would have to look, pull up my thing, but I can't think of any other big major expenses we have. If you were going to try to compel some, or just try to share uh, 
encouragement with someone else, just say a young person, uh, you were going to say about, hey, here are the things that are great about my lifestyle and here are the things that are tough because you obviously don't live a mainstream lifestyle. Um, and to many listeners, the lifestyle you're describing, to some listeners it sounds awesome, but but to many listeners there will be a sense of like why? Why do that? What would be the sales pitch you would give to somebody to just encourage them that they could consider uh, practicing some of the things that you do? Uh, the main thing I would say is just look at the direction our culture's in um, right now by just this growth mindset, just more money and build things bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just, it's not sustainable. It's There's no way it's sustainable. And I guess maybe if we start mining asteroids, it's possibly sustainable or we find another planet to live on eventually. But if you care at all about, if you have kids or you just care about keeping our species, keeping future generations out of trouble, you should look at your impact. And the other thing I would say is um, all of this stuff, it sounds hardcore because it's so far from mainstream, but just try doing one piece at a time and you'll realize that everything I'm describing, I think is amazing. It's, it's all fun stuff. It feels good. It forces you to get exercise, fresh air, movement, connecting more. Um, you start farming, you're connecting with your community. Um, you're building soil, which we're depleting at massive, fast rates. I mean, just in, in how much frustration do you have by checking your phone a million times a day or getting on Facebook a million times a day? I know I used to be in that trap and it was terrible. You know, it just didn't feel good. And you just you're you're working all the time and you're running your kids around to different activities and you don't have time to connect with them. You don't your kids are growing up and you're not there with them. I mean it just it makes me cry thinking about it, Josh. It's so messed up. How yeah. people are just given, you know, I don't know, kids don't give a shit about how much money you have. They just want your time, you know? Sorry. It's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Uh, and uh, the time at which they start to care how much money you have, uh, meaning that if you go the normal path and you get into uh, you go the normal path and you get into the, the middle, uh, you know, the teenage years, uh, mm -hmm. well, that's generally a, a societally induced care. Um, many times uh, there are some basic necessities uh, of life, but many times uh, the concern about what kind of car my parents drive, that's, it's pure pressure. Uh, that's where that enters in. Oh yeah. My I mean, your car should just have two wheels. <laughs> <laughs> two or four? <laughs> just two. Two. Okay. Bicycle. Got it. <laughs> uh, I'm having trouble picturing a two wheel car. Well, Nate, <laughs> yeah. man, thanks for, thanks for coming on and just sharing a little bit of your story. Uh, websites, uh, your Etsy store, websites, uh, social stuff, anywhere that you'd like to people to go to check out some of your projects? Yeah, uh, just NateDotson.com. I've just started developing that, and I'll, I'll put links to all my stuff. I have a bunch of stores and getting ready to release a new product here in a month that I think could really change lives. Um, it's a, like a journal that you'll get in the mail every month that has you've got to say one thing you're grateful for, and you can identify your most important activity, a couple more tasks, and then just kind of do a brain dump every morning. 
and it'll come in your mailbox every month for a really low price. So I'm getting ready to release that. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so yeah, natedotson.com and maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll put a special link like, um, uh, let me see, maybe natedotson.com slash Josh. Do it slash, slash radical. Do it. natedotson.com slash, slash radical. Yeah. Put all Nate your info Dotson. there for listeners. Slash radical. Uh, natedotson.com slash radical. Go there and I'll, um, you can subscribe there instead of the standard homepage and I'll put, um, I'll send everyone the outline to how I do the Etsy business if they want it. Sweet dude. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, no problem, Josh. I really appreciate it. You're, you're, you're doing amazing work, man. I'm really proud of you and it's just awesome. I love listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Personal Finance. If you're interested in building financial freedom for yourself and your family, please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app so you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your mobile device for Radical Personal Finance and download our free app, which also contains an archive of every past episode of the show. If you have received value and financial benefit from the content of today's show, please consider becoming a supporting patron. Radical Personal Finance is listener-supported, and it's your direct financial support which enables me to bring you this content. In addition to your voluntarily paying for the content you've just heard, as a supporting patron, you will receive a number of member-only benefits, including a private Facebook group, access to our weekly Q&A calls, and discounts on future products and services. Details can be found at RadicalPersonalFinance.com patron. Again, RadicalPersonalFinance.com patron.